At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. prayer change anything? Does prayer really change anything in our lives? Have you ever attempted to pray and maybe you have felt, as I have at times, like, like your words were just going up to the ceiling, hitting the roof somewhere, and then, and then just kind of dropping back down to the ground and going nowhere at all? I think, I think many of us feel this way when we pray. And maybe it's because we think that, that somehow or another, as we pray, our prayers should change God. That, that what we say and what we ask and as we draw near to him should do something in him that would change him and, and cause him to act or, or to work differently in the world in which we live. And, and maybe then we get a little discouraged. We, we think that if we pray well enough using the right words or the right postures, or, or if we're active enough in prayer and, and fervent enough in it, or, or if we pray passionately enough, that's when God will be at work. That's when we will see miracles happen. But for most of us, for ordinary people like you and me, when we pray, we just don't feel that or see that happen like we would hope or expect. And, and if we're honest, that discourages us when we pray. We don't see the incredible miracles that we envision prayer delivering. And, and so what can happen is you and I can become dissuaded from believing prayer has any impact at all. Now, now let me be clear. We're not blaming God for that. We're, we're looking at ourselves and we're concluding that because our prayers seem so ineffective that either we've prayed incorrectly or that we've prayed inadequately. Somehow we think of prayer, God in prayer as if God is some sort of cosmic ATM machine and we're just not getting the right pin number in on the keypad to see big things happen. So, so we play games in our head, right? We, we, we say, God didn't hear me this week or, or today when I prayed because I was angry with somebody else. Now God's angry with me and so no prayer is heard today. Or, or I, because we think, well, I, I was in sin this week. I did some things, and so God's giving me the cold shoulder. He's mad at me, and so he's not going to hear my prayer. And that's where we get right down to the bottom of it, and we wonder, is prayer really worth it? Is it, is it really worth the time and the effort? Does it really matter? Does God really even hear our prayers? Does he care? And, and we conclude, why should I, as a follower of Jesus, pray? I mean, it just seems like, Nothing is happening. Do you feel that way in prayer? Is that true to your experience? 
I want to remind us we're in this series on the life of Elijah. He is one of the most prolific prophets in the Old Testament. And as we're in this series, we're seeing Elijah do and experience some amazing realities. It seems like prayer is working full time in Elijah's life. I mean, if we just do just a short recap of Elijah's life, starting in chapter 17, we'll see this guy's prayers matter. I mean, he goes to Ahab. The very first thing that we hear out of his mouth is he says to Ahab, oh yeah, by the way, it's not going to rain here for many years except at my word. And that just comes from God. He is the spokesman from God, and he tells Ahab, the king, no prayer is coming unless I pray it down. And then he seeks God, and he's with this widow in, in uh, Zion, and, and inside and he, he realizes there's no food left, there's no water, and so what does he do? He prays, and again, God provides abundantly. There's an inexhaustible supply of flour and water to provide for them. Elijah's just praying this down, and the widow's son dies, and there Elijah goes up to the upper room with the child. Prays over the child three times, and the, the child is resuscitated. He's back to life again. I mean, prayer is working for Elijah. And then, and then we get to the moment where we were at last Sunday in, in chapter 18, this huge story where Elijah is confronting Ahab. And they're on Mount Carmel, and the, Elijah is going man on, man on man against the prophets of Baal, these false idol worshipers who have worshipped the storm god. They believed who, who makes their life prosperous and fertile and, and provides rain and abundance for them. Elijah's like, your God is dead. He doesn't exist. And so they have the contest. They, they get some bulls out. They sacrifice the bulls. They lay them on the wood. And Elijah says, here's who's going to win this contest. You guys call to your God. I'll call to my God. And the God that drops fire from heaven, he's the true living God. And so sure enough. I mean, the, the prophets of Baal, they go on for hours praying and praying and dancing and, and to the extreme of cutting themselves to see their storm god drop lightning and light that altar on fire, and it never happens. And Elijah, in contrast, he goes, he douses the altar with water, soaks it completely, and he humbly gets on his knees, and he cries out to God in prayer, and the fire from the Lord drops and consumes everything on the altar, so much so that they realize all of Israel fell on their faces and declared, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah's prayer life, he's moving and shaking. I mean, he is making things happen. And so that's why it's so disconnecting for us, right? We read those stories of Elijah, and we think about our own prayer life, and like, I can't get it to rain on my lawn when I want it to, right? Like, I don't have any success in this. And so we stand apart from Elijah. He stands in the category in our minds of super saints. And we think of his spiritual superiority. Somehow or another, he could serve and relate to God in ways that you and I cannot. And in his prayer life, I mean, we're just on two different levels. He's like an all pro, and I'm just figuring out the game. But I want us to remember what Scripture says, what the Apostle James says about Elijah and his life. We're here in the study to see something important about ourselves and our relationship to God. Eli James tells us in James 5, 17, that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah's not some super saint. He's not some amazing, extraordinary spiritual power. 
He's an ordinary person, an ordinary human being like you and me, and the things he was faced with are not too different from the things we're faced with in our own lives. Elijah prayed. In fact, James says right before telling us that Elijah was a human with a nature like ours, he says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if a guy, a person named Elijah, who's just a human being like you and me, with a nature like you and me, can pray, and powerful things can happen, then then something should be said for our lives as well. That is, that, that you and I have the same resources at our disposal We have the same God, we have a greater view of God in Jesus Christ than even Elijah did, and we have the same means of going to that powerful, superior God that Elijah did, prayer, and you and I can go and experience powerful and effective prayer in our own lives. You can pray and see God at work. In fact, in fact, that's what I hope that we would see this morning in our text is that the power of a I'm sorry, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God gives us the means to be people of prayer. And so Elijah's prayer, his prayer life teaches us something about our own faith and about how we can be people of prayer like Elijah. This morning, my hope is that you would be encouraged to go to God in prayer, to not give up in prayer, to not give up seeking his face, but that you and I would be encouraged to plead and seek the Lord with all that we have. I want to help us this morning through God's word today to become a people of prayer and people who, when we pray, we pray with great power and effectiveness. And so the question I'm asking this morning and I see answered in our passage is this. How can I, how can you pray in a powerful and effective way? How can we pray in a powerful and effective way? We're coming to the end of this amazing story, Mount Carmel. And this this little end cap here, it's kind of the conclusion of the story and the transition into what God does next. It's, It's not a footnote, just a Passover but it, but it contains some powerful spiritual principles for you and I that would inform powerful and effective prayer. Elijah's example gives us three spiritual principles for powerful and effective prayer. And, and so I want to jump in here this morning and help us see these three spiritual principles. So, so we have Elijah, and he's with Ahab at the top of Mount Carmel, and, and as Everyone sees that the Lord, he is God, as the Lord has dropped fire on that altar and consumed it all. Elijah says the prophets of Baal, kill them all. I mean, it's just the end of that story there. It's kind of a bleak and and tragic reality, but they're idol worshipers. They are taking the nation astray, and so they're, they're executed. And instead of Ahab being executed as well, because he is the lead of these prophets of Baal, he is the lead false god worshiper, Elijah turns to Ahab and and he says, Ahab, you've got another role in this story. And he says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. Now Ahab is being positioned to a new place. He is being positioned to be a part of the feast and the celebration God is showing him grace and mercy and calling him to be a part of the worship of God, to to reflect on what God has done, his grace and mercy. And so Ahab is sent to this this feast moment. 
It's, it's somewhat unusual, but, but there it is. They go, and they, they go up on the mountain to eat, to celebrate. It probably was a similar moment to what Moses and Aaron experienced at Mount Sinai, When God came and he gave them the law, he gave them the commandments, and the scriptures in Exodus says that they they feasted together at the mountain. They, They recognized God was making a covenant with them. He was giving them his precious and good promises. And so Israel is reenacting this. They're recognizing God, the Lord, he is the only true God. We must worship and bow down to him. And in seeing him, they say, let's celebrate. God's people are a people of feasting and celebration because of his grace. So Ahab gets to go up to the mountain, and as he goes up to eat and celebrate, Elijah tells him, this is a good moment because I hear rain coming. I I hear the sound of rushing rain. Elijah there is just reminding Ahab of God's own promises, of what God had said he would do. You have to go back many generations Actually, to Solomon's generation, when he was dedicating the temple. And Solomon, as he's dedicating the temple and praying, he says to God, God, there's going to come a day when the people are going to sin against you. And and as they sin against you, you're going to withhold your reign. You're going to withhold your blessing. But the day is going to come when they repent, when they turn back to you. And when that day comes, Lord, would you send your reign again? Would you send your blessing 1 Kings 8, Solomon says, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from your sin, then you'll hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, and grant rain upon your land. Elijah is referencing that promise and that reality of what God has said when he says, I hear the sound of rushing rain. He's saying the people are repenting. They're seeing that you are the one true God. And so now, God, is the time for you to send your rain. So there he is. Ahab goes up to eat and drink, and Elijah goes to prayer. Verse 42. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And there he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Elijah begins to go to the work of prayer, getting before the Lord. And this is the first spiritual principle, and that is to to pray in alignment with God's word. Elijah humbles himself before God. Notice his posture, bowing himself down to the earth, putting his face between his knees, He recognizes that he's not any spiritual giant. He isn't someone who has profound access to God in a way that nobody else does. He's not an arrogant, strong person. He's a weak and dependent man. He's a man of faith, saying, God, I have no ability to bring down this rain at all. And so he humbles himself before the Lord, puts his face between his knees, gets down, and he begins to pray, saying, Lord, you have promised this. You have promised that when your people humble themselves and repent in time of judgment, which is what this, what this drought and famine has been the last three years, when that happens, when your people repent, you'll send the rain. So Lord, send the rain. Send the rain. Ahab, or Elijah believes God's word that rain will come. And so he goes and he asks God for that to be fulfilled. He humbles himself. My favorite commentator on 1 Kings, Dale Ralph Davis, he says it this way. He says, we may think of Elijah as some super prophet, but only if we ignore the whole testimony of this text. 
We must hold to the biblical picture. For all his seeming diamondism and charisma, his assertiveness and his control, his gumption and his boldness, Elijah has no magic. There's no ace up his sleeve to play in a pinch. He can call upon no sleight of hand by which he slithers out of tight spots and dead-end dilemmas. Elijah can only confess his helplessness. That is, he can only pray. And as he prays, he's reminding God of what God has already promised. He is praying in alignment with God's word. And I don't want you to think of prayer as some sort of power of positive thinking kind of posture. Elijah is reminding God of what God has said, and God is determined. And so he just says, God, you promised this, now do it. You said you would do this, so keep your promise. Keep your word. He looks to God as a good father who keeps his word in every situation. Recently, Ethan was, was wanting to purchase a brand new, like the latest and greatest Nintendo Switch video game. And he was eager for it. He was talking about it a lot. He was saving his money for it. And yet he, he found out that he didn't have enough cash at hand to get it when he wanted to. So I told him one day, I was like, hey, Ethan, listen, if you go out to the front yard and if you'll, if you'll get around the landscaping around the house and pull the weeds up and do some of the, clean the landscaping up one Saturday morning, I'll make up the difference in what you're lacking on your, on your Nintendo game. Sure enough, Ethan went out, did the work, pulled the weeds, cleaned it up, and he came back to me and he said, Dad, pay up. You, you said you would. You said if I did the work and cleaned up the landscaping, you'd, you'd, you'd supply the difference. I try and be a man of my word, okay? I try and do what I said. So Ethan could be confident that if I told him I would do it, I would follow through and supply the money he needed. He didn't, he, he didn't need to tell me, Dad, this is what you said. But he was reminding me of my promise to him. That's what Ethan's confidence was based on, my word. This is how we pray powerfully and effectively. We remind God, not because he's forgotten, but because he's made these promises. And so we pray powerfully and effectively when we align with God's word, when we pray God's word, and we say, God, here's what you said. You say, all things work out for the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Lord, let it work out. Let it be for my good. It's Romans 8.38. We just take God's word back to him in prayer. When we're we're anxious and troubled, we say, Lord, your word says that you are a good shepherd. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. So, Lord, I need that. Restore my soul. Lead me to green pasture. Take me. Take me to still waters. Friends, that's effective prayer when we take God's word. We align with God's word and we take God's word to him. And that's what Elijah's confidence was. God has said, when my people repent and they pray and seek my face, I'll send the rain. And so he prays in alignment with what God has said. Often we think that we're not being effective in prayer because we don't get the things we're ask, we ask for. Maybe we're missing the key to powerful prayer because we aren't praying for the things God has already promised in his word. We don't pray God's word back to him. So let me give you some ways you can practically do that. First of all, follow Jesus in the prayer that he's instructed us. If you want to pray God's word back to him, it's right and good to pray the Lord's prayer. To take the words that Jesus has instructed us to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To pray, your kingdom come. 
and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. To say to the Lord, give us supply to me today what I need, my daily bread. God, you say you'll do that, so will you provide that? And and to to ask the Lord to forgive your sin as, as you forgive those who sin against you. To pray and say, Lord, lead me not into temptation today. Lead me away from wickedness. Don't let my heart have what it desires in sin, but lead me away from temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Start praying Jesus' model prayer for us. Or take up the Psalms. The Psalms are rich. They are the prayer book of Israel. They were the prayer book of Jesus. They can be your prayer book as well. To take the words of the Psalms and address God with this with these words. If you're frustrated, you can find a psalm that expresses the, the full range of frustration to God, and he can handle it. Learn to pray God's word back to him. That's a key to powerful, effective prayer. We have for you this morning as you leave. Don't miss it, okay? As you leave this morning at the welcome table, there's a free book back there by Donald Whitney. Uh, it's, it's called Praying the Bible. It's a helpful resource to help encourage and equip you to take God's word and pray it back to him. Help supply some of the things I'm talking about this morning. It's free for you. We have a copy for everybody, so get one. But learn to look for and identify God's promises in his word. Pray those back to him. We might find our prayer ineffective and powerless because we're praying for selfish things, misguided things. Hear me clearly. We should pray, but powerful prayer takes God's promises back to him. Pray in alignment with God's word. That's the first thing. The second key to to powerful, effective prayer is to persist in pursuing God's promises. And some of you say, like, I haven't seen God answer these things. I've been praying for a steady heart. I've been praying for greater faith. I've been praying that he would do these great things in my life, and I'm just not seeing them. Well, keep going. Keep praying. Persist in pursuing his promises. Elijah, he's there, he's praying, he's up on the mountain, he's humbled before God. But, but notice in this text, Elijah doesn't see the answer immediately. It's not like he goes up once and says, all right, Lord, you said rain, if we humbled ourselves, so, all right, where's the deluge? Like, Come on, send the rain. He doesn't see it immediately. He says to his servant, this is verse 43, go up, go up now, look towards the sea. And the servant went up and he looked, he's like, there's nothing. Mount Carmel facing west across the Mediterranean Sea. The servant's like, nothing's happening. Now you might think, like, if this was me praying, I'd be like, well, I guess God's not going to answer that one today. Might as well get a hamburger at the feast where everybody else is at. No, no, Elijah, he doesn't give up. He doesn't say, I'm no good at prayer or God's not listening. He persists. He keeps going back to God in prayer. And so he says again to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And the servant went up and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. I mean, you just hear the repetition in this seven times over. Anything up there? Nope. All right, keep praying. Lord, you said, do according to your word, send rain. Servant, you see anything? Nope. Okay, let's go again. Lord, do according to your word. Seven times over, he just keeps coming back to the Lord. Now, I think it was Einstein who said, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Is Elijah insane? Not at all. He's persistent. And that's the principle for us here. Persist in pursuing 
God's promises. Keep going back to God with his promises. If the scriptures can say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if the word of God is true, that God is faithful and he keeps all of his promises, every promise of his is yes in Jesus Christ, then you can keep taking these things back to him. Keep laboring and persisting in prayer with his promises. It takes Elijah seven times. And finally, the servant goes up and he's like, look, there's a little, there's a little wispy cloud. I mean, it's no bigger than like my hand on the horizon rising from the sea. But that's Elijah's signal. God is sending the rain. God is answering and doing exactly what he said he would. A Puritan pastor put it this way. He said, when Elijah's servant brought him word that no cloud appeared, he persevered in prayer even when the servant returned a second, third, even a seventh time before any cloud could be seen. Elijah did this because he knew that it was God's will that he should earnestly seek him so that rain fell not by natural means, but by God's power. Friends, you might say, God's not answering me. And I might be saying to you, listen, the Lord wants you to persist so that you draw closer to him, so that you experience who he is for you. St. Pastor said, we are to persevere in prayer until we prevail even though we may see no sign of accomplishment at the moment. Jesus told the story to illustrate how we should persevere in prayer in Luke chapter 18. He tells a story about a widow woman who, who has been unjustly treated. And she goes to the judge, and she says to the judge, give me justice against my adversary. And the judge is like completely put off by this woman. He's bored with her. He doesn't want anything to do with her. So Jesus said, the judge doesn't want to hear the case. He just like throws it out every time. No, go away. But Jesus tells us that the woman kept persisting. She kept showing up at the courtroom day after day. Judge, hear my case. Give me justice against my adversary. And she was relentless. She didn't stop. Finally, the judge breaks. Jesus voices his words in the story in chapter 18 of Luke. He says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And Jesus' point isn't that you can wear, like God will get tired of you. Some of you as parents have your little kids come up to you and say, can I have, can I have, can I have? You're like, please, no, go away. Stop. That's not God's heart towards you. You can't wear down God that way. He's not a tired judge who can be beaten into the ground by your persistence. He's a loving father who wants to hear his children keep coming to him with their need. He's a savior who wants us to pray. Jesus told us that parable to help us see and to be people that Pray always and not lose heart. Persistence in prayer is just coming to God again and again and again and being drawn closer to him in our prayers. Being powerful and effective in prayer is a matter of persistence. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. If you're looking for God's grace in your life, if you're looking for change, if you're looking for him to transform, don't expect that you can just go through life like a drive through Christian. Just pulling up to the drive through window at Chick-fil-A and saying, here's what I want, God, and then getting it, getting, oh, here it is, you can have it, my pleasure, as God says. The best things God has for us, I believe, are a matter of long-term, lifelong pursuit of him. Could it be, friends, that God is trying to grow your faith deeper, your dependence 
greater, your trust, more reliant on him by not giving what you ask at first request? You, you don't want to be a shallow Christian, just getting everything you want at first word. Christ has depth for you. Prayer that is powerful and effective keeps at it, keeps praying, keeps going to the Lord, chasing his grace. And yes, friends, it may take years. It may take decades. Don't give up on the God who won't give up on you. Keep going to him in prayer. Pray in alignment with God's word. It's the first spiritual principle to effective and powerful prayer. Persist in pursuing his promises. It's the second principle to effective and powerful prayer. And there's one more. This one, though, has to do with what happens after we pray. Sometimes we think of prayer as just being the matter of saying to God the things that we need or desire, taking our hearts and our burdens to him, and we pray it off, and then prayer ends when we say amen and move on. But I believe that powerful, effective prayer has something to do with after we pray as well. That is, there's a response that happens in our lives. And so this is the third principle. Plan to respond to God's grace. The question is, if you pray and you persist in prayer and God shows you his grace, he shows up in your life and answers that prayer, then what are you going to do next? What happens after you see his grace and his mercy? So let's go back to the mountain there, right? Elijah is there. He is praying. He has humbled himself before the Lord. He is asking God, God, here's your promises. You said you'd send rain if we repented, and we are. So where's the rain? And he persists in it. And the cloud comes. He sees it on the horizon. This should be encouraged. Rain is coming. One of the things that you're told when you're in the mountains hiking or climbing or whatever that is, if you see a small little wispy cloud in the afternoon, be careful. Those things turn into powerful storms with lightning and hail very, very quickly. So this is where Elijah can be really confident. He looks out, he's on the mountain, he sees a little wispy cloud, and he's like, oh man, the big one's coming. A storm is going to be, it's just going to be massive. So he says to his servant, we've got to move on. And, and he tells the servant, find Ahab down at the feast and tell Ahab to load up his chariot and get headed home. He does not want to get caught in this storm. You don't want to be stuck out in it. And sure enough, verse 45, a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. But Elijah, or I'm sorry, Ahab, he's in the chariot and he's on his way to Jezreel, on his way back home. Now, this is where the fo focus of the story shifts, okay? We've been looking at Elijah and his life, but, but for just a moment, we've got to pivot and look at the story through Ahab's lens. In fact, I want to just put you in his shoes on his drive home, all right? Pretend you're Ahab. You've been active in promoting false worship in your country. You have been making a mess of things, You've been tearing down the worship of the one true God and lifting up the worship of idols. And your life and everybody else's life is a mess as a result of it. And you think it's my fault, okay? You're mad at me because all this bad stuff is happening. There's been a drought in your life for three years. And you're not looking at yourself. You're looking at the preacher, the, the man of God, the, the one who's proclaiming God's word. And you're like, this is all on him. It's his fault. So, so you finally decide you're going to show up to church and you're going to confront me. Right? You're going to come in these doors, and you're going to lay it out and say, like, we're going to figure out whose God is true, and I'm just going to level you. 
And so you show up, and, and, and here I am, and you're like, okay, we're going to have it out. We're going to see whose God is true and real. And as you're here, as you're confronting me, as we're having this dialogue, you're made aware that your God is false and dead. You're aware that the living God, Jesus Christ, is real. And he is full of love towards you, full of love toward rebels like you. That God in Christ has sent his refreshment and rain that you're so eager to see. Everything that I've proclaimed to you from the word of God, you discover is true and real. So now you have a dilemma on your hands. You've been worshiping idols. And you discover there's a true God. What are you going to do? You stick around after the service. Let's suppose you came to the 9 a.m. and there's donuts and coffee over in the commons afterwards. And so you're there in the commons. You're having donuts and coffee. And you look at your clock and you're like, I better get home. You know, I've, got, I've got things to do. And so you get in the car and you're driving out and you're headed home. And you're beginning to think this all through. And you're going, how will I change? What needs to change? How, how will I do things differently? What needs, to, what needs to happen in my life? You're thinking through how you respond. And maybe you feel a little doubt. You know that when you get home, your spouse is there, and they're not going to be on board with what's going on. They're not going to be happy about the changes that you're going to have to make in your life and in your home. And, and you realize that's going to be really, really hard. You start thinking through the decisions that you're going to have to make, some of the idols that you're going to have to let go of, some of the sins that you're going to have to, to repent of and move on from, the practices that you cannot participate in. And you're just like, that cost is high. I don't know if I want to walk in those things. So you just begin to be unsure about it all. You're sitting on the fence, as it were. So you're driving home. You're thinking these things through. And and as you're driving, you look out the window, and there I am, me, the pastor. And I'm running next to your car, okay? Like, get this. I'm running next to your car. I'm not in my own car. I am jogging next to you. And you're like, what is going on? Well, I wave. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Hey, that was such a great morning this morning, just a really good conversation. I'm going to run to your house ahead of you. I'm going to be with you, getting you home, because I want to help stand with you. Like, I've got the word of God here, and I want to help support you and encourage you in your repentance, in the change that you want to see God do in your life. I want to help you, lead you through the word of God to see these big reforms and changes happen in your life. So, buddy, I'm just going to run alongside you, and I'm going to lead you with the word of God. That's what happens in Elijah's story here with Ahab, okay? This sounds completely weird. Somebody gave me the oddest look as we were reading the scripture in the first service. Like, what is that passage? Verse 46. That's what happens. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The chariot's on its way, and there's Elijah, like, waving as as he rolls by, running ahead of Ahab. Now, if I made it to your house and I got there, wouldn't it give you confidence to act positively on what you've heard and experienced? I mean, wouldn't you be encouraged? I'm not alone in this. I have the word of God. I have the leader of God's word. He's there ready to help me. God's word is ready to lead me. Now, I won't tell you what happens with Ahab and Elijah here. That's a cliffhanger for you. You've got to come back next Sunday to find out what happens in Israel. Will Ahab repent? Will he lead the nation with the word of God? Will he tear down the places of worship to Baal and other false idols? Is there going to be a revival in Israel? We're going to come back next Sunday and find out. The question stands. If God shows you his grace, 
what you've been asking for, trying to experience through prayer, what do you do with it? How do you respond when his grace shows up? This is the third principle of spiritual and powerful and effective prayer. Today, you've got a plan how you will respond to God's grace in your life. I mean, it's one thing to ask God for these things and, and to think of them in the theoretical or the unanswered or the unknown, but when God's grace shows up, when he answers with his grace, what do you do? How do you respond to God and his work in your life? Do you believe him? Do you repent? Do you make the changes that God's word calls you to? This whole episode is a revelation of God's forgiveness of sin. I mean, that's what the, the whole thing has been on, right? Solomon prayed, Lord, when the drought comes because we've been rebellious against you, if we turn and repent and seek your face, you'll send the rain because you've forgiven our sins. And that's what God did. The rain is coming. God's forgiveness is right there at hand. Now, let me give you something to think about as you drive home later today. I just want to put this in real terms. You and I were made by God to worship God and to live for him all our days. He's given us his law to direct us on how we should live. And yet, you and I have to realize that we disobey him, we violate his law, we ruin his name, and the word of God tells us that the punishment for that is death. Yet God, in his grace and his mercy, has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment for our sins. We, we need a Savior, and God, in his grace, sent Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly on our behalf, obeyed God's law in every way, and then he died in our place for our sins on the cross. And forgiveness was earned by Jesus Christ, perfect life and sacrificial death. And so the Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, who repents of their sin and believes in him, will not perish, but will have the same resurrection life that Jesus received on the third day. That's God's grace for you. And anyone who calls out can take hold of that. So what are you going to do with God's grace towards you? Will you put your plans to your prayers and say, yes, because of God's grace in my life, I'm going to respond with a yes to him and a no to the things of this world. Will you plan to respond by saying, Lord, as your word confronts me and challenges me and calls me to growth and new life, I will obey you. I will walk in newness of life. I will take you at your word and let you lead my life. And let you show me the way and let you be the king and Lord of my life. I won't be stiff-necked and hard-hearted, but I'll live with humility and repentance towards you and believe in Jesus. Prayer that is powerful and effective plans to respond to God's grace. It sees God's grace and says yes to him and no to the things of this world. How will you respond to God's grace when you see it in your life? Prayer that's powerful and effective says, when I see God's grace and kindness towards me, I won't harden my heart, but I'll be ready to receive anything and everything he will do in me, even though it may be tough work. Will you respond to his grace? Because that's where you'll see power in your prayer, effectiveness, taking steps and growth towards him. You and I might be prone to think that prayer changes God. But I really think it's the other way around. 
Powerful and effective prayer changes us. Elijah had no secret, hidden ability or recipe for seeing God answer his prayer. Just humble faith, simple faith in the God who does what he said he would do. And so he prayed, took God's promises to him. He was persistent in his pursuit of God's promises. He was looking to respond to God's grace. Those are the keys, friend. You can pursue God in the very same way in prayer. Your life of prayer can be powerful and effective as well. Let's ask him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you lead us by Christ. You lead us through your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us a greater faith and a deeper trust in you. That we would be people that are reliant and dependent on you through prayer. And that we would grow in our trust and dependence on you. We thank you that you have forgiven all of our sins. That you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness in Christ. So Lord, continue to work in us to change us, to make us more like Jesus. Work in us to to humble us. To give us open hands to you. Obedient hearts that would say yes to all that you call us to. Deepen our love for you, Lord, because you love us. We thank you for your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.